Welcome to episode 248 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and I'd like to thank you for listening again this week. We hear so much talk today about mindfulness that it seems sometimes the word has actually lost its meaning. Today's guest, Dr. Shauna Shapiro, is here to help us better understand mindfulness and explain how many of us are missing out on a critical component to make our mindfulness practice more effective. Her new book, Good Morning, I Love You, combines brain science with easy-to-implement practices to help you get more calm, clarity, and joy in your life. And who doesn't want that? Shauna, thank you for joining us on this episode of Live Happy Now. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Well, we wanted to talk to you because you've written a really beautiful book. There's so much wisdom and so much guidance and, and love in this book. And I wondered why it is that you decided that this was the right time for you to write it. It's a good question. You know, I was really surprised and touched by the response to my TED Talk. It was a small TED Talk and we didn't have any kind of publicity around it. And you know, in that first year, it just became viral and ha- now has almost a million and a half views. And the messages I was receiving from that talk about how powerful it was for people to learn that shame doesn't work, that it actually harms us and shuts down our capacity to learn. And also the message that change was possible. And it wasn't through judgment and shame, but it was through kindness and compassion. And I realized that we all really need to hear this, that this constant self-judgment and shame is this universal experience and that we all feel isolated in it. And so it seemed like the right time to really bring the science and the practice into the world. And it's really well done. I cannot emphasize that enough. And one thing that it does is really make you feel all these things that you thought was, they were only you that was thinking them. You find out, as you just said, it is very universal. These feelings and emotions are something that so many people are grappling with and we don't talk about it. Exactly. And I think we feel so, we isolate in our pain and in our suffering. It's like, we think it's only me going through a divorce or it's only me that yells at my children and feels guilty. afterwards. (laughs) And then what these practices help us do is one, be gentle with our pain, but two, recognize this common humanity that we're not alone and that everyone experiences this pain or this guilt or this shame. And also everyone has these hopes and these joys and these dreams and to really help people recognize that we're not alone. And you do that with, you have a lot of different practices that you teach people and your book is called Good Morning, I Love You, and you have a practice by that name. Can you tell us what that practice is? Oh, you're jumping right to the goods. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, the book is chock full of practices that are based in science to really help people rewire their brain, to help people increase their levels of happiness, to help people deal with challenging times. That practice for me has been one of the most powerful practices I've ever learned. And the title of the book, which you might imagine, I had to struggle a little bit to get people to accept it. They said, what? This is a scientific book and you're calling it good morning. I love you. No one's going to take you seriously. But the practice was so powerful in my life that I felt it was essential to call the book, Good Morning, I Love You. And that practice I learned many years ago, I was going through a very difficult divorce And I was feeling a tremendous amount of shame and self-judgment. You know, I'm a psychologist and I'm a meditator and why couldn't I make this work? 
I would wake up every day with this kind of pit of fear and anxiety and judgment. And my meditation teacher saw how I was really harming myself through so much self-judgment. And she said, I want you to try cultivating more kindness toward yourself. I want you to say, I love you, Shauna, every day. And I was like, no way. <laughs> There's no way I'm not say I love you, Shauna. It felt so far from how I was feeling and so inauthentic. And she saw my hesitation. She said, how about just saying, good morning, Shauna. And try putting your hand on your heart when you say it. It releases oxytocin. It's good for you. She knew the science would win me over. So the next morning- <laughs> You're a sucker for the science, aren't you? <laughs> I, I definitely believe in it. <clears throat> so the next morning when I woke up, I took a breath, put my hand on my heart and said, good morning, Shauna. And it was kind of nice. Instead of the shame and the self-judgment, I simply greeted myself with kindness. As I continued to practice this, I noticed subtle changes, a little less harshness, a little more kindness. And a few months after practicing, I was at Esalen Institute in Big Sur. It's this beautiful retreat center. And it was my birthday. And it was the first birthday I'd ever been alone without my son, without my husband. And I woke up and I walked down to these mineral baths that are overlooking the ocean. And I climbed in and I put my hand on my heart to do my good morning practice. And all of a sudden, I had this image of my grandmother. And before I knew it, I said, good morning. I love you, Shauna. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And it was as if the dam around my heart burst and this love came flooding in. Love from my grandmother, love from my mother, my own self-love. You know, I wish I could tell everyone that it's been this bubble of joy ever since that I've never felt shame or self-judgment again. And that's not true. But what is true is this path of kind attention of compassion for myself was established and it continues to grow as I practice. And so what I really want people to know is these practices of self-kindness and self-love, they're not an overnight fix. And yet every time you practice, you're carving out these pathways in your brain of greater compassion. So I like to call them these country roads, right? We have super highways of habit and those are just our automatic pilot. You know, we immediately judge ourselves or we are impatient or we're reactive or whatever it is. And then we start to carve out with our mindfulness, these country roads of compassion or the country road of patience. And as we practice, these grow stronger. That's such a powerful analogy and so well put. One thing that the readers will learn as they read your book is that you came to this mindfulness practice really early in life and you beat the rush on that. (laughs) And (laughs) and we've got a lot of people who are, you know, just now becoming aware of it. And how did embracing that so early in life shape your young adulthood and where you've gone today? Yes, I feel really fortunate. I discovered mindfulness way before it was popular. (laughs) I was 17 years old and it came during one of the hardest times in my life. I had to have spinal fusion surgery and I had been this really active, healthy teenager. And I was, you know, star of my volleyball team and had just signed to play at Duke University. And I was homecoming princess and very identified with my body and my health and my strength. All of a sudden, within a week, I was lying in a hospital bed, unable to walk. And during the many months of rehabilitation, 
the physical pain was difficult, but worse was my emotional pain, my fears of, oh my God, my life is over. My entire volleyball career is ruined. I was going to college. I was worried no one would like me and you know, no one would be attracted to me with all these scars in my body and kind of emaciated and weak. And during that time, my father, who I'd always had kind of a difficult relationship with, kind of became my hero. He arrived one day with a book about mindfulness. And as I began to read about mindfulness, one of the very first paragraphs said, no matter what has happened to you, it's already happened. The real question is, now what? And it kind of lifted me out of the past and out of my fear of the future into this possibility that I could be happy again. And as I continued to research and practice and study mindfulness, eventually I went to Duke and I graduated and I went to Thailand and Nepal to study in the monasteries and to really deepen not just my intellectual understanding of it, but the actual practice. And that's really when everything started to change for me. I I went to this monastery and I ended up spending two weeks there in silence doing a meditation retreat. And it was really during that time that I understood that mindfulness isn't just about attention or being present, which is what we all think it is, right? That's kind of the popular understanding is be here now, that mindfulness is about how you pay attention. And what the monks taught me is it's about paying attention with kindness. And this attitude changes everything. They explained that whatever you practice is growing stronger, that we know this now with neuroplasticity, our repeated experiences shape our brain. And so the monks explained that if I'm meditating with judgment and impatience and frustration, that I'm just growing judgment, impatience and frustration. And they helped me understand that paying attention with kindness was actually cultivating these pathways, strengthening these country roads of kindness and compassion. And that's really what I wanted to grow. That is so interesting because that's the point that's not brought up in the general conversation about mindfulness. And so are we doing ourselves a disservice? Like we're trying to practice mindfulness, but it's like we're making a cake and we don't have any sugar or flour, you know, it's like we don't have that key ingredient. I feel like this is the kind of secret sauce of mindfulness is this kindness and this compassion and that it's so easily overlooked. And what's interesting, Paula, is that even when I tell people practice kindness, it's still really difficult. So, you know, here it was probably 15 years after my time in the monastery that the good morning, I love you practice is what really cracked open my heart that I realized, even though I thought I was practicing with kindness, I wasn't, there was still this subtle undertone of judgment or you're not good enough or you're not doing it right. And that's why I've really devoted my clinical work and my academic career to making this explicit and to showing people the science, to showing them that when you feel shame, when you judge yourself and beat yourself up, it shuts down the brain's capacity to learn. And when you feel kindness and compassion, it bathes our system in dopamine. It turns on the learning centers of the brain. It gives us the resources we need to change. So how do we do that if we're <laughs> trying to be mindful, but we have all these, I mean, that, oh, that shame that comes up with people, like when we do the wrong thing, how do we use mindfulness to offset that? Yeah, it's a great question. And there's 
three steps to this. The first step is to bring your mindfulness to it, to bring your mindfulness to the mistake you've made, to the pain, because this is not about letting yourself off the hook. This is about bringing your clear awareness. In fact, the word mindfulness means to see clearly. So we're bringing our clear awareness to the situation. And I'll give you one actually from this morning. So I am getting married soon and I'm madly in love with my partner. And we, um, this morning, got into a little bit of a difficulty and it was really my fault. I was very rushed and impatient. And so what kind of your normal reaction to that would be is I would sit here and feel really guilty and really bad and God, I'm such a bad person. And why was I so impatient and reactive? And so the first step is to bring my mindfulness and to recognize, wow, you're in pain. You're feeling really guilty and really bad about the situation. The second step, and this is a really important one, is then I treat myself as if I were my dear friend. How would I treat my dear friend who said, oh, I, was, I snapped at my partner today? What would I say to her? I'd say, oh, sweetheart, I see how much you love him and how bad you feel. And you'd kind of put your arm around her and comfort her, right? And then the third step is to realize that it's normal to make mistakes and that all of us do it, that I'm not alone in this. There's many other people who have gotten into an argument and to not shame and judge myself, but to feel that common humanity and to send out compassion to everyone who's in this situation where they just made a mistake, where they just yelled at their child, or they just yelled at their husband or whatever it is to send out this compassion. And what's beautiful about this is what the research shows is when we bring these three steps and Kristen Neff is really the pioneer and has done a lot of work in this. When we follow these practices, what happens is we actually are better able to make change. It's going to make me less likely to yell at my partner. It's going to make someone more likely to stick to their diet or to exercise more. That it's through this mindfulness and this compassion that we're able to make change. And I love how your book really talks about the self-compassion component of it and emphasizes it in a way that I haven't really seen done that extensively with mindfulness. And mm-hmm. can, can you tell us why it is so crucial in mindfulness? Absolutely. Well, it's really kind of an extension of what we've been talking about is that mindfulness helps us see things clearly and we need to bring our kind attention to it. But sometimes when we're really suffering, when we've made a mistake or we've caused harm or someone's hurt us, it's really important to know how to go into that pain in a healthy way. And the self-compassion practices really allow us, one, to bring this kindness toward ourselves. I mean, really treating yourself as if you were your dear friend, that's a radical thing. That is not what we normally do. Normally, we're like, this is stupid, or why'd you do that, or what's wrong with you? We treat ourselves like we're a really bratty child and need yeah, to go like we're the worst out enemy. forever. <laughs> and it's, it's a radical approach to be your own inner ally, to say, I'm on your team. Like, and I see the best in you, not the worst in you. Like, I know you're better than this. I know you can be more patient or more kind. And so instead of spiraling down with shame, you become your own inner resource and you help bring out the best in yourself. And in fact, there's this beautiful story about how we can also do this for each other. So in South Africa and the Bemba tribe, what they do is when someone has made a mistake, They bring this person into the center of the town, of the village, and they circle this person up. So everyone stands around the accused person. And then each person goes around the circle and says one good thing they know about this person. I remember 
grandmother, or I remember when you loaned me $5, or I remember when you helped me move or whatever it is. And they remind the person of their goodness. I trust your good heart. I know who you truly are. So instead of saying, I can't believe you stole this, they remind the person of who they truly are. And what I believe is that what self-compassion does is it helps us remember our good hearts and it helps us trust ourselves more. This is what we all need. And this is what I most hope for our children is not that they're successful and that they make a lot of money, but that they trust their good hearts and they treat themselves with kindness. That's beautiful. And I love that practice that you just talked about of instead of shaming someone or accusing them further, reminding them of what is good about them. Um, Because I can see that being something you use as a family. Exactly. As a family and in our communities, you know, we've, we've lost the art of appreciation and gratitude. We focus so much on the negative. In fact, in my book, I write about the negativity bias, which we all have. And what science has shown is that we tend to focus on the negative, on what's wrong, on what's not working. And we pay very little attention to the beautiful and the good. And evolutionarily, we needed to do this. This is how we survived, right? We are descended from the ancestors. When they heard a rustling in the bush, they ran. We're not descended from the people who are like, oh, let me see what that is and pet the <laughs> you know, those, those ones got eaten by the tiger. So we are descended and hardwired to kind of scan the environment for danger and look for what's, what's fearful or what could hurt us. And it's important to start to balance that negativity bias, to start to bring our mindfulness to the good and to actively cultivate joy, to actively pause and experience a pleasant moment and learn how to encode that into our long-term memory. Because what typically happens is when something stressful happens, we immediately remember that. But when something beautiful happens, it kind of just slips away. And so Mm -hmm. part of the book, of course, is focused on how do you handle difficulty and how do you cultivate self-compassion? But part of the book is focusing on how do you bring more joy and more gratitude and more ease into your daily life? I'm so glad you brought that up because right now, I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of people are in distress and anxiety. The situation that we're in in our world today has caused so much unrest with people. So how do we use these practices to manage that? Yeah, thank you for that question. It's so important. The first thing I want to say is these practices, we're never just practicing for ourselves. We're always practicing for each other. And when we practice, it has ripples in our world. So I've been doing a lot of work with the environment recently, which is not my area of study, but it's because there's so much anxiety. So there's so much climate anxiety, understandably. But what we need to realize is when we bring this fear and this anxiety and this judgment and this shame to these issues at hand, to our politics, to the environment, we are not moving closer to solutions. We're just adding to the fear and the stress and the pain. You know, Einstein has this beautiful quote. He says, the consciousness that created the problems is not the consciousness that's going to solve them. Oh, I love that. So we need to learn how to begin to shift our consciousness back into equanimity, back into gratitude, back into a sense of connection and interdependence so that our innovation and creativity can be supported and coming up with new solutions. 
And so the practices in this book help teach people how to soothe themselves, soothe their anxiety, downregulate their nervous system so they come back to baseline. And then from this place of greater wisdom and greater compassion, we can come up with new solutions. That's reassuring. It's good to know and to hear somebody present it that way because the conversations we hear right now don't give us a lot of confidence that things can turn around. No, they terrify us. Yes, they they terrify do. Us. And what happens when you're scared? You go into the stress response of fight, fight, freeze, and you can't think of new creative solutions. And so, yes, it's important to clearly see the data and to see what's happening and not to just hide from it. But we also need to build the inner resources to be able to meet it. And that's exactly what this book does, is it provides the practices to grow these resources, to literally re-architect your brain so that we can meet the challenge and respond with wisdom and clarity. And it presents it so very well. Like I said, I, I love the way this book presents it. It's beautifully written and it is written with so much love and kindness. You can That comes through in reading the tone of it. It's, just, it's very comforting to read. So I really hope people do check it out and pick it up. And we are going to tell them how they can get a video of your Good Morning, I Love You practice and how they can find out more about you, see your TED Talk. But before I let you go, what is the one thing that you hope everyone takes away from this book? I hope that everyone listening knows that change is possible, that no matter what has happened to you, no matter what mistakes you've made, that transformation is always possible, that we all have the power to re-architect our brain, that it's never too late. You can begin again and you can begin right now. That was Shauna Shapiro talking about how we can use mindfulness and self-compassion practices to rewire our brains to find more joy and calm. To learn more about Shauna, get a copy of her book, watch her TED Talk, or get a free video of her Good Morning, I Love You practice, visit us at livehappynow.com and we'll hook you up. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.